Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Crispy, I would like to rock and roll all night and party every day. Right. Okay. And in order to do that, I need one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. The blender? No, that, well, that could help the whole partying part. Well, no, I'm talking about party. the electric guitar. Oh, that. Now, uh, recently, the world lost a great inventor, Les Paul, mm-hmm. who uh, was one of the people instrumental, to use a pun, in creating the electric guitar. He was not the first person to combine electricity with guitars, but uh, we'll get to his contribution shortly. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to create an electric guitar in the first place? There are a couple reasons. Mm-hmm. The most, I would say, in my opinion, obvious of which is that if you want your guitar to be heard by people more than a few feet away, you're going to need to find some way to amplify it. That's a good point. And so you would want to be able to plug it into an amplifier so that the amplifier would project the sound farther. That's a good point, too. Which is uh, you know, why you have those giant speaker cabinets on the side of uh, rock stages. Right, because the only real alternative, at, at if we're talking about the earlier stages, uh, is to put a microphone directly in front of the guitar and hopefully pick up the sound and, and transmit it that way, which is not the best way to get a clean sound out of your guitar. It's, uh, it's inefficient, right. to be honest, because uh, the, the sound is not... Uh, the sound waves are traveling from the guitar to the microphone, and of course, anytime sound travels through the air, there is the possibility that it will become distorted. Yes, which sometimes is something you want, but you want to be able to control it. Yes. You don't want uncontrolled distortion, although uncontrolled uh, distortion who you are. <laughs> would be an awesome name for a rock band. It probably is one already. Could be. If not, patent pending. Okay. So uh, – we need Let's, to file for these patents. Yeah, say. I guess we, I guess we do. We have a whole bunch of them pending now, don't we? At yeah. least three. Yeah. So the way sound works, you've got something mm-hmm. vibrating. Right. And then that causes other molecules to vibrate. Eventually these vibrating molecules hit our ears, causing little hairs to vibrate, sends little vibrations down to our eardrums. And that's what we interpret as sound. Excellent. So, you got to have some sort of uh, molecules in the in the environment in order to be able to hear, which is why if you're in outer space, you're not likely to hear anything because the molecules are spread out so far apart that there's not much chance of one bumping into another. That would be uh, the whole vacuum thing. That would be yes, the vacuum thing. Yeah. Yes, it, it's the Hoover element of the equation, as I like to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave the, the science stuff to other folks. All right. Well, uh, I, of course, wrote an article about can humans hear in space. Did Spoiler you know? alert, they can't. <laughs> um, so the the idea behind a regular guitar, I mean, the reason why guitars have a hollow body, why many stringed instruments have a hollowed body, body is so that it creates a natural amplification chamber. Yeah. Without it, you wouldn't hear very much. And the uh, the size and shape of that chamber 
you know, has a lot of effect on the way a guitar sounds. Right. That's why uh, some electric guitars maintain the hollow body while others go for a solid body. Right. So, you know, they both have their own merits. And Yeah. And early on uh, in the the experiments in electrifying guitars, mm-hmm. um, many of the innovators tried to to alter existing guitars like hollow body guitars. But there was a problem with that in that you would often get distortion based upon the natural amplification from the hollow body and the electrical amplification you're getting from the electric guitar. It also depends on how you are trying to uh, electrify your guitar, too. Yes. Because if you're just hooking up a couple of jumper cables to your guitar, that's probably not the best way. Not quite what I meant. Oh, okay. Because I know that uh, in early, <laughs> early electric guitars, they didn't always plug in in the same place, and they didn't always try to pick up the sound from the same place. Wait, you used a word there, pickup. Oh yes, <laughs> it's not just important. a truck. No, it's not. It's an important part of an electric guitar. Yes, um, because in in early guitars, they tried to pick up the vibrations, the uh, the sound vibrations up of you know upwards. Away from the guitar body and toward the neck. Right. And even at the end of the guitar. Yes. And now it's uh, at the other end, the base of the guitar. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to find the pickups. Now, a pickup, uh, here, we, we better explain, I guess, the basis of an electric guitar, like what makes the electric guitar work. I'd like to point out that electric guitars aren't, well, at least not in most cases, themselves electric. Right. They're, they're not passive. powered. They're passive. Exactly. Um, we're getting back to our old friend, the electromagnet here. Uh, yes, I remember our old fl- friend, the electromagnet. Yes. Yeah, he got up and left the other day. Doesn't I had to pay for lunch. Never writes. I know. What a jerk. But electromagnets, uh, you may recall from our previous episodes that if you have a, um, if you run an electric current through a coiled, uh, copper wire, usually coiled around an iron core, not necessarily, but it can be, um, that can create a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. So electricity can generate a magnetic field. And if you alter a magnetic field, you can induce electricity. Yep. So with a an electric guitar, you have a pickup at the base, usually, of the guitar that is a magnet that has a coil around the magnet. And uh, the, that means there's a magnetic field. Mag- that's what magnets produce, mm-hmm. right? So when you strum a string... The frequency, the vibration of that that string, um, create distorts the magnetic field. By destroying the magnetic field, oscillating it essentially, you create an electric current. Mm-hmm. The electric current runs through the little coil that's around the the magnet, and then uh, if you don't have your guitar plugged into anything, it doesn't go anywhere. Right, and all, you won't really hear anything uh, if it's a, a solid body electric guitar anyway. Um, well, you will, but you'd have to be very, very close to it. You won't hear much. Yeah, it'll sound pretty weak and because uh, there's nothing to really amplify the sound. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have it plugged into an amp, that little electric signal will go to the amp, uh, which has a couple of different elements to it that can boost the signal and then convert it back into sound. And that's the sound you hear when you strum the strings on an electric guitar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, for an electric guitar, too, uh, well, I mean, assuming that we're not talking about an acoustic electric guitar in which you're basically attempting to amplify the sound from the electric guitar. If you're talking about um, an electric guitar like, for example, uh, a Les Paul, um, then the pickups are directly underneath the strings where you actually 
play, we mm. actually strum or pick the strings. Right. Um, and that enables them to, uh, be very close to the original vibration. And in some cases, the pickups are designed to, um, move closer to or farther away from the string as you need to adjust them, uh, so that you can, uh, pardon the pun for once, uh, fine tune your sound. You can sort of modify things to, uh, as you need to, to get the sound you're trying to get. Right. Now that's not always the case. I mean, some of them are very, very simple where there is a single, uh, bar magnet that, uh, is used as a pickup. But you'll notice too that some guitars use one set of pickups while other guitars use several different sets of pickups. And you can actually, you'll see switches on the guitar body that, uh, you know, enables you to turn one set on or one set off or modify the sound to, to, uh, you know, make changes to your sound without having to sit there and, you know, rewire the whole darn thing. Yeah, essentially you have controls that allow you to filter out certain frequencies. Mm-hmm. And so by choosing which frequencies you want and which ones you don't want, you can have your guitar sound in, you know, many different ways. You can have that really, you know, kind of crunchy rock sound that you hear from uh, alternative rock bands or you can have that more sort of twangy sound from uh, you know, a country western or even like the sort of the the surf rock sound of a guitar. A lot of that is just through filtering out which frequencies uh, you want to to go to the amp and which ones you don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of cool that with one instrument, you can get so many different sounds out of, you know, just by tweaking a, a knob or two. Yeah. Um, and the one of the, the really cool things about uh, an electric guitar, as far as, I mean, just from a scientific standpoint, although apparently I'm not leaving the science to other people, um, is that you can make so many modifications. I mean, the, having it wired like that gives you a, a lot of control over the sound and it actually enables you to, uh, share the sound and control of your sound with another piece of your instrument puzzle, which is the amplifier. Right. Uh, because once you plug it in, the amplifier becomes part of the electric guitar as the entire instrument. Um, in some cases, you're, it's just simply going to amplify. But in a lot of cases, especially for rock musicians, um, there are ampl- amplifiers you can buy that have a lot of the equipment built in that allows you to modify the sound. You can add um, reverberation, for example, mm-hmm. um, or distortion, which is very, very popular depending on the kind of music you're playing. Right. Um, and then, of course, there are effects pedals, um, some of which... Uh, actually, I know some people who have quite a few effects pedals. Um, and basically what these are doing enables, they enable you to make slight changes to the way those vibrations are, are distributed across the, um, the electrical current from between the guitar and the amplifier. And then, you know, from there to whatever else, I guess technically the speaker, but if you are in some cases playing, say, an arena show, you might have a microphone stuck up next to your actual guitar amp, and then from there, just going through the PA system out to the crowd. So it, there's a there's a lot of wiring, and uh, you rock stars live lives I can only dream of. Yeah, I've had to haul around a lot of that gear, so <laughs> thankfully not usually the PA, but I've just looked at that gear. Yeah, it's heavy. A lot of it. <laughs> what I think is cool about electric guitars is it does allow you to do things like have a guitar that has a solid body. I mean, again, if, if it weren't for the electrical amplification, then a solid body guitar would be pretty much useless because you would have to be sitting just a couple inches away to be able to hear anything that was coming out of it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Les Paul is, is 
widely credited with creating the first real solid body electric guitar, mm-hmm. uh, which he called the log. <laughs> um, it was it's made, big, it's heavy, it's wood. It is, it is. It was made by, uh, made out of a, a, a slab of wood, a solid block. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, it actually could come apart in pieces. I've seen pictures of it. It was pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, granted, he refined that design. Slightly. That was not the design that Gibson uh, picked up when they started to market the guitars later on. Um, yeah, and, and the electric guitar has really revolutionized music. I mean, there, it's that's not a exaggeration by any stretch of the imagination. By pairing an electric guitar with a an amp and playing a note, uh, it's possible for you to get a vibration off the the um, the speaker mm-hmm. that continues to vibrate the string, and you get a perpetual note. Mm-hmm. A note that will last forever. Or until the power runs out. Or until the power runs out. <laughs> or until your audience decides they've had enough of this and they're going to go home. Is he, is he just going to play that one note the right. whole time? This is like the most boring Grateful Dead concert ever. <laughs> He's jamming on one note and that's it. Well, you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, I'm I think sure I could have mani- managed that. You I, know. I, I bet there's a one performance note? artist out there somewhere who's done this. And oh, I'm yes. sure that, yeah, I'm sure there are more than one, but, yes. uh, Yes, I'm pretty sure. You're right. I um, you know, more power to you if that brings the grant money in. Good luck. <laughs> but um, if you've wondered, if you've watched a rock band play and then watched another rock band right after them, you go, why? You know, why does it matter what guitars they're using? You know, other than maybe a six swing string versus a twelve string, or you know, uh, uh, a regular guitar versus say an alto or a bass guitar. Um, I'm sorry, a tenor versus a bass guitar. You might go, okay, well, I get it. One's a little bigger than the other. One has a couple more strings. So, you know, why are there, you know, what's the difference in a Stratocaster versus a Les Paul? Well, it all, it, it sort of all comes down to the things we were talking about before, the number of pickups, what kinds of pickups there are on it, whether or not it's a hollow or solid body, the kind of wood it's made out of or other material that it may be made out of. And, um, you know, even Gibson changed things a couple of years ago when they offered an Ethernet guitar. Because suddenly the connection is no longer analog, which is basically it's a, you know, one quarter inch phono plug, uh, on either end. You plug one side in your guitar, one side in your amp. Well, Gibson changed that by incorporating an Ethernet connection. Well, that changes the sound even more and gives you an opportunity to play a really clean digital signal, which a lot of purists really don't like the idea of. Um, you know, everything adds a little bit of, of change to it. So, um, and that's why some people prefer vintage guitars over brand new guitars. And they say, well, you know, it was made out of this kind of wood back in 65. It's made out of this kind of wood now. It's just not the same. Right. And they may look the same to you or me, but it's not the same. And you saw one of those digital guitars over at CES one year, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was a little weird. Um, <laughs> not, not because there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but I thought, well, you know, I wonder if this is the kind of thing that's going to change. Um, the way people play guitar. And I, I don't know that it has significantly. I haven't seen a lot of people with them. As a matter of fact, I've seen nobody in person with them. Um, but, uh, it was sort of the same kind of thing that you saw in the 1980s with electronic drums. They were all the rage back in the day because you could play all kinds of sounds on them. And now, uh, the purists, I think have sort of maybe not won out because they still make electronic drums, but, uh, they have certainly taken the uh the electronic drum market back and i think that acoustic or not acoustic but uh, uh analog guitars 
electric guitars are, are still predominantly the most popular. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the keytar to really, really make an impact. Right. And, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I'm just going to skip that. Okay. Um, because it, it's, there's a, there's a website. I'm assuming it's still there. I can check real quick while we're talking, but, um, there was a, uh, guitar website called guitargeek.com. Um, and it basically, uh, it hasn't been updated in a while, but it allows you to look at the rigs that everybody has set up. So you can see what kind of guitar that they, that a famous artist plays along with the effects pedals they might use and what kind of amplifier, um, they might use. And it's really kind of cool because you learn things about, uh, certain guitar players like, um, Dave Davies of the Kinks who liked to slit his, um, speaker in his amplifier cabinet so that it would provide just the right distortion sound. And suddenly it's no longer about the guitar or the uh, effects pedals, but um, whether or not the speaker has a hole in it. Nice. Uh, so. Yeah. I'd like to see how, how queen got that amazing sound at the end of the, with the uh, guitar solo of um, we will rock you. <laughs> Cause that's still to this day, my favorite guitar solo ever. Oh really? Yeah. No, serious. It really is. Um, so here's a little trivia for you guys. Uh, we were talking about the oscillations of the string causing a, a change in the magnetic field, and that is what creates the uh, electrical current. Um, that is based off of Faraday's law. Oh. So there you go. If you ever are watching a musician rock out uh, on stage, you can turn to the person next to you and say, this is an excellent demonstration of Faraday's law. Which is guaranteed to get you the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Not actually guaranteed. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Yes. Some restrictions apply. Yeah. It, it, would, it worked on my wife, but she's taken. So. Okay then. Well, are you, are you all rocked out? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of rocked out for the moment. Well, then I guess that takes us straight to a listener mail. Yeah, rock on. This listener mail comes from Louis and or Lewis. L- Louis or Lewis, I don't know. You know, an you email. Can, you can write me and let me can't know. Tell. Uh, hey, me again. So you'd think I'd know how to pronounce his name by now. Finally got my modem working again, so time to email you. In the video game podcast, the new one, you said that the PS3 had a cell-based processor. What does this mean? Also, from what you were saying, it seemed that in the U.S., Xbox 360s are more expensive than the Wii. Is this true? Here in New Zealand, a 20-gigabyte Xbox 360 is $300, whereas a Wii costs almost 450 And I'm a bit confused. Well, Louis, um, let's talk a little bit about the cell-based processor. Uh, it's a specific kind of microprocessor architecture. Right? It's based off of the cell broadband engine architecture. It's just cell for short. Um, and the idea here is that each cell can uh, handle a certain amount of, um, of, uh, of calculations per second. Uh, and the PS3 has, I believe, seven of these cells. So... Each cell is capable of handling a massive amount of information. The problem is you have to be able to design games that take advantage of this. They're very good at handling parallel problems. So in other words, you've got a, um, an, uh, you know, one of them's handling graphics, another might be handling physics engine, another might be handling sound, something like that, uh, as opposed to all of them working together on one big problem. 
Mm-hmm. So, the, so if you can divide it up, if you can divide up duties for each cell, uh, it, it really takes advantage of the hardware. Um, otherwise, you've just got a massively powerful machine that that you can't really take advantage of. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if you design the game the right way, that makes that system one the most powerful system on the market right now, bar none. PS3 would be the the most powerful. Uh, but again, you have to design the software to match the hardware's capabilities. Now, as for the pricing, well, back when the game consoles first came out, and they didn't all come out at the same time, we should we should make that point. Mm-hmm. But the core system, the Xbox 360 core system, was two hundred ninety nine dollars, and the Xbox uh, 360, the the main system, because the core system was the no frills version, uh, the main system was three ninety nine. Uh, PS3 came out with two different models as well at that time. There was a 20 gigabyte version, and that was $499. But then there was the 60 gigabyte version. That was $599. Ouch. Pretty expensive console. United States. Right, in the US. And the Wii, when it came out, $249. So it was cheaper by 50 bucks than the, the, the next uh, least expensive console. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should also add, many people have written in to point this out, and I think we mentioned it in an earlier podcast as well, but the those first PS3 models were backwards compatible. You could play PS2 games on them. Mm-hmm. It was only after they moved to the PS3 uh, 80 gigabyte version, and even some of the early ones of those were backwards compatible, but eventually they they took that compatibility out Mm-hmm. of the PS3 and since then it has not been there. Yeah, and some of those older models are uh are much more um prized by PS3 fans than the newer models. Right, because, because of, of that, that backwards compatibility. Yeah, cuz it means one less machine that you have to have hooked up to your your system if you want to play all your games. Uh and when we were recording that podcast, we were really concentrating on the systems that were available on the market as of the recording of that podcast. Right. And, uh, while you can find the, the 60 gigabyte PS3s and, you know, things like Craigslist or eBay or whatever, uh, in general, your local game store, unless they're selling used consoles, uh, they're not going to have one of those, um, in stock because they've been out for a while. Uh, so that's really why we weren't talking about those and why we said that the PS3 was not backwards compatible. It wasn't because we didn't know about these earlier models. It's because you can't really get those in your average store. Yeah, yeah. Um, today, the pricing's a little different. Uh, the Xbox 360 Elite just got knocked down to uh, $299. The Xbox 360 Arcade is $249. They are completely eliminating the core Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to go away once they sell out. That they're gone. Uh, then you've got the the PS3 120 gigabyte slim. That one is the uh, 299, mm-hmm. and the Wii is still sitting there at 249. Hasn't changed. Which is uh, if those for those of you who are listening in on our conversation with our single listener uh, who lives in New Zealand. That's as of uh, right now. We're recording a podcast. Three hundred thirteen dollars and twenty six cents in U.S. currency. Uh, for the $450 that it costs in New Zealand. Oh, so it's, a, so it is it's, actually more, it's more expensive. expensive there. Instead even of 249, yeah. he would have to pay 313.26 in U.S. currency to get that machine. Yeah, we would, so it is more expensive. we would smuggle you and Amer- a U.S., uh, we and have you just pay us the equivalent, except that it wouldn't do you any good because all the pictures would be upside down. Okay then. 
So if you have any comments, questions, or you want to yell at me for making a horrible, stupid joke that was geocentric, uh, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. We have articles on electric guitars and just about everything else you can imagine at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?